Welcome to EANCAST, your weekly source for education, research, and updates from the European Academy of Neurology. Hello everyone, and welcome to this EAN podcast episode about brain health, and more specifically, it's about how to increase the brain health span. My name is Rolf Fronsek, I'm a neurologist from Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands, and I'm here with Dr. Harris Eyre. He's a fellow at Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy and the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, and he also leads the Brain Capital Alliance. So, uh, Harris, if I can call you Harris, <laughs> can you explain to me actually what, what does it mean, brain health span? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Rolf. I really appreciate it. Um, so brain health span is is like a play on lifespan, right? And health span. Uh, we know that, you know, what the lifespan is, everyone knows what that is. And then health span is, of course, the number of years of your life that you're healthy. And, and so brain health span was this construct that I've developed uh, with Professor Ed Byrne to say, well, brain health span is like, how many years of your life do you have really good brain health? And the idea is that you live at close until the end of your days with great brain health, where you're able to think and, and do clearly, and you're, you know, happy and energetic in, in a sense like that. So you've got good cognitive, social and emotional resources. Uh, and of course, this sort of maps on to our suggestion that brain health is one of our most essential assets as individuals and as, as and as nations, um, and it's connected to our brain capital. So this is the construct of brain health span, and and what you know now we need to think about what can we do to increase it, and what can we do to mitigate the stuff that reduces it. Well, that sounds like something also for neurologists, indeed, <laughs> and I think many neurologists will agree with you that this is very important. So uh, maybe you, can you tell us something about how can neurologists help in this? Uh, what's the role of a neurologist in this? Arguably, the neurology community is the most important community to try to really dramatically optimize the brain health span, right? And I think there are many ways that neurologists can do that. One is simply helping your patients that you're seeing day to day, helping them to be sure that they're doing all the things to improve their brain health span, you know, dementia prevention activities that we know so well that EAN has popularized. That's really obvious, right? One-on-one -on -one patient care uh, approaches. But then neurology has a role in leadership. Uh, how, do, how can you guys help to educate PCPs or family physicians, so primary care practitioners and family physicians or general practitioners, whatever we call them in whatever part of the world we're in, how do you educate allied health professionals like social workers, physical therapists, occupational therapists? But then as a neurologist, you also, you know, can lean into research. You can develop, you know, new research uh, approaches to improving the brain health span, like generating data or generating new tools. You can in, in, engage with startup companies to help startups that are wanting to be in this space to be successful and to be grounded in good science. And then finally, um, if that wasn't enough to overwhelm the neurology community, I think you guys can be involved in public policy discussions, which is really, really interesting, right? And that's, that's where someone like uh, Paul Boone, who has led your European uh, brain health strategy and now mission, 
has been instrumental. You're, you're saying to heads of state in Europe and to European politicians, these are the things you need to do to influence policy to make brain health better across Europe or across your country. And that, that's, that's really interesting. That's where I personally love to work is this, this intersection of clinical doctors being involved in public policy and getting involved in sort of political debates. And, and you know, we need to s convince people that brain health is an essential asset to countries. It's previously kind of been neglected. So now we have this renaissance with brain health that we can push this agenda again. So anyway, many different ways neurology can engage. And, and so let's make sure that we help people to develop the skills to, to engage in these different ways. And no, people don't need to do all of it, right? They just need to find their happy place, whether it's one-on-one -on -one patient care, or you end up with some neurologists that want to go into politics. And that's cool too. So let's make it available to all of them and help them along the way. Well, and very interesting things that you're saying. I think many uh, of my colleagues and many neurologists uh, won't be that much involved in policy making, at least not on a country or European level. But indeed, uh, EAN is uh, very important for this. But, uh, but if a neurologist wants to do this, and uh, not through the EAN, but in their own country, perhaps on a country level, can you give some advice? Uh, how would you do this? Yeah, I think there's no probably linear path, Rolf, right? There's no linear path. And so this is fascinating to think about. I, I think that you can consider uh, being engaged with the EAN, right, as an advisor or in some kind of committee, because the EAN is this, or, or whatever is your national entity, right, whether it's the American Academy of Neurology or, you know, whatever is in your country. So getting involved in your professional organization is a good way to, to cut your teeth and learn a little bit about how these things happen, how policy is made, how clinical practice guidelines are made. So something like that is easy or reasonable. Um, collecting data, some kind of data that can influence policy discussions. I think that's something that's doable uh, because policy needs to be built on good quality data. And, and in brain health, who has good data is neurologists, right? Um, I think you could consider uh, you know, graduate degrees, masters or something like this in public policies uh, is one approach. Then you can also engage in think tanks. Uh, so I work at the Rice University uh, Baker Institute for Public Policy. We're always looking for neurologists that want to get involved in public policy. You know, there are these positions like non-resident fellow. So, you know, think tanks are an interesting one. There's plenty of these in Europe uh, now as well, and they're all over the world. Um, so, so I think these are some ways that you can slowly get involved in, in public policy, sort of involved in the data or the formulation of the strategy. And then, of course, if you want to get involved in politics, that's a whole other ball game uh, in actual policy making. But yeah, those are some ideas. Yeah, thanks. And this is also, I think, uh, linked to the economy and to uh, money. And I know you also have some thoughts and advice about this. So can you tell us a little bit how this fits into our economic landscape and uh, uh, yeah, if brain health also has some potential in this? Yeah, good question. Of course, we know as physicians and scientists that, that brain health is important for like humanitarian reasons and it's just kind of makes sense, uh, it's obvious, but not everyone thinks the way that we do, right? Some people are very focused on economics, dollars and cents and return on investment. 
and that's particularly true in politics as as we are in politics you're, there's only a certain amount of money in the system right for a government or a state and so politicians have to make decisions about what they spend money on so it's i think it's incumbent for us as as brain health experts to engage in economic discussions so that we can get the numbers the dollars and cents to convince politicians to invest in brain health so that's where economics comes in so how do we as a profession of neurology and psychiatry and brain health clinicians engage in economics? Well, you know, my, my approach was to uh, lead the development of this field of brain capital, which is a it, brain capital, you know, capital is just a stock of something. And so brain capital is a way of saying the collective brain health of a nation state. So brain capital, we, you know, brain health and brain skills, we're saying that it's as important for politicians as GDP, as road and bridge infrastructure, as clean water in a country. And, and so this is a way, this brain capital is a term you can imagine is quite alluring and a little bit sexy to politicians. So that, that, that this is a way that, you know, these types of, these types of devices of, of tools of, of thinking is a way of getting into, of getting brain health into economic discussions. But then I should also finally say that something like the brain health atlas that people here may know about which was recently released by the institute for health metrics and evaluation from the university of washington in the united states that has good economic data on brain health disorders across the world and country by country that, that we can leverage um, so so this is the reason why economics is important because the economy is the way that things tick in society it, you know it's it determines how money is is disseminated and if we want more resources for brain health, we need to get into economic discussions and really, you know, try to work them to get more resources for our profession where we think the brain is the most important organ. Yeah, it makes sense that if you have a country with many people with healthy brains, it's good for everyone, not only for the people itself, but also for the economy, the country. So indeed, you have like uh, many doctors also like me, we often just see patients, we are clinicians, uh, we try to treat patients, have a healthy life, but we also have neuroscience, studying diseases, uh, data, but then you know, talk about policy and uh, economics, policy development. So how do you uh, combine all of this? How do you get this together? It seems very challenging to combine this all together. How would you do that? Yes, so it, it's not easy, but I think that a good instructive example is the EAN's uh, brain health strategy, where, where you have articulated why brain health is important to countries and strategies that you can take to improve the brain health of people. And, and you're thinking about it at different levels, right? How do, you, how do you influence individuals, families, communities, cities? So you know, these are some ways to break it up, right? Because kind of what you're saying is like, it's a little bit overwhelming and it's for sure is. So, so let's break it down, right? Let's break it down based on the scales we want to influence. And certainly that's also why brain capital was developed and, and brain capital has been developed. I'm sort of the leader and convener, but it's been developed by many economists and, and neuroscientists and neurologists. And we've developed it to try to try to create a bridge between, you know, an individual and their brain health and, you know, and high levels of, of political office. And, and so we try to break it apart by thinking about, you know, if you were to influence the brain capital of a country, how would you do it, right? Well, first of all, you need a dashboard 
so you need to try to measure it and you know we've just published our brain capital dashboard which looks at country by country level data in the brookings institution uh, policy paper series people can check that out it's online just published a couple of days ago where we looked at the determinants of brain health you know like social environmental digital we looked at brain health and then brain skills uh, and brain skills are these skills which are critical in the modern economy like creativity adaptability resilience so so brain, the dashboard is one way we broke down brain capital to help people to understand what it is and how to measure it and move it forward then we think also about policy and think about you know policies that improve brain capital across all policy areas from health policy, social policy, digital policy, environmental policy like that. So that, that's a way that, again, we're trying to atomize this brain capital concept and, and give people ways that they can get involved. You know, some people love, you know, food policy and brain health, so they can help us with that particular area. And then, of course, there's investment innovation too, bonds and venture capital and this sort of financial innovation approaches, which that's a way that um, that the financial community can map onto this. And, and some neurologists love to be involved in, in venture capital, like Philip Shelton's famous uh, Dutch neurologist. Who would have thought that he could be, yes, uh, he's a brilliant man. Who would have thought that he would be now running a venture capital fund, right? This is incredible. He's probably I, like, is there anyone else like it in the world? So how do we help more people to be like him to get involved in venture capital as just one way of improving brain health by investing in product and service companies. So, so I, I hope, Rolf, this, this makes sense to you and the listeners that there's just trying to ways of trying to atomize this, right? We're trying to find little hooks for people to grab onto to, to be involved in this discussion. And, and I think the final point I'll say, Rolf, and, and then I'll stop is that we need to, as a uh, community, not just think about brain health is important to the economy sort of in general terms, right? We should say like it's good for productivity, it's good for social cohesion. We need to be really granular and we need to we need to map brain health onto cutting edge public discussions, right? So like what, for example, generative AI, what does generative AI mean to brain health? Like that is a really burning question that politicians are thinking about. And there's always new things coming in the news cycle that we need to be we need to be thinking about, like writing op-eds and connecting the dots for the community and politicians between brain health and that issue. And in generative AI, of course, it's interesting because it has pros and cons, right? It 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 could be good to help us with developing better diagnostics and chatbots to help more people with better quality care but it could also be very corrosive to brain health if it's causing people lots of stress and lots of people lose their jobs so that it's a very nuanced one but you know that's the kind of thing we need to we need to try to you know with integrity get involved in these cutting edge uh, societal economic and technological waves that are that are sweeping across our countries now i understand it's a lot more than only brain diseases and uh, treatments for it it covers a lot a lot more okay um and can you give some more maybe concrete examples maybe a little bit but smaller ones that uh, people can relate to sure sure let me let me give you some let's take this topic of uh food nutrition and brain health and break that down so and and think about it at different scales so right now we, we wrote a, a, a long technical paper on this in, for the Baker Institute. Right now, 
brain uh, in the industrialized food system, you know, is probably pretty corrosive to brain health, right? And the industrialized food system is, is the formalized food system. In the past, it's been extremely helpful because it allowed us to get long life food to the farthest reaches of the planet, right? Particularly to people that were food insecure. But it, the industrialized food system now is synonymous with, you know, high sugar, high, high fat, high salt, and lots of preservatives. And the industri industrialized food is driving obesity, chronic disease, and certainly it's creating dysbiosis in our microbiomes, which is correlated with, of course, uh, increased incidence of depression, anxiety, lethargy. And then, of course, ultimately, this is all correlated to dementia uh, risk. So what, what we think about with the industrialized food system is, you know, how do we help people to get a better food source so the, the, then you start to break that down into different scales right so first of all the most important thing is we need to help clinicians with new clinical practice guidelines where it helps them to understand where they should prescribe diet and nutrition and we need to make it real simple for them we need to provide the data for it you know, you know whether it's like the finger study or great work that's being done out of the Food and Mood Center at Deakin University in Australia, you know, randomized controlled trial type data. Uh, and then we also need to have neurologists educate, as I said before, allied health and primary care and, and general practice. Then we also need to think about what are we doing as a profession to lobby governments to try to reform the industrialized food system, to, you know, to try to make you know, farm to table food and less industrialized food available to people? Is it, you know, do we need to get into the discussion of taxing high salt and high sugar foods? This is the kind of thing that could make an impact at scale. And, and then we start to think about other forms of treaties and whatnot to, you know, try to regulate this at a, at a real big national level. And for example, one thing that we could regulate is the use of plastics, plastic packaging, which we, we know is also negative and coming from the industrialized food system around the packaging. And we know that plastics are breaking down into micro and nanoplastics and getting into our water supply and our food supply on the top of Mount Everest. These nanoplastics are found and in the bottom of the deepest depths of the ocean and in, in, in women's breast milk. And so, you know, how do we regulate that as well? Because that's a whole frontier of neuroscience, right? Is the effect of nanoplastics on the brain. So you know, hopefully this gives you an example, Rolf, of, of one big theme of like food policy and how do we deal with it starting from helping clinicians that are treating patients one-on-one -on -one through to thinking about systems influence. Yeah, in the end, it's, uh, it's very fundamental, I think, to uh, humanity <laughs> if you go really deep, all of this. Thank, yeah, thank you. It's very, uh, a, good, a good thing to think about, but maybe then to wrap up, a very practical thing, like if you're a neurologist, you're listening to this and you think, well, I want to be a part of it. I want to start tomorrow or next week. What is the first step? What can I do? I would say to you that, you know, please, please, please follow entities like the EAN and like the equivalent of the American uh, Association of Neurology and, for example, the European Brain Council, follow these organizations on social media, look at their websites and, and learn and think about how to engage with them or their counterparts uh, in your country. But, but for sure, if you don't know who the counterpart is in your country, if you're in Africa or Asia or Latin America, 
just contact right someone at EAN or AAN and ask the question. And let's try to help link you up to the right people so that you can you can you can start to get involved slowly in learning this stuff. This it doesn't happen overnight, right, Rolf? Like it doesn't you don't just click and become like a political candidate or something like that. But you know, slowly over time, you can you can learn the ropes and get involved in committees or things like this. So that that would be my simple suggestion for folks because because I think we're we are these organizations EAN AAN are really building a, a scaffold for people to latch on to to get involved in in policy discussions. Well, I think that's a very realistic thing and that's feasible as a first step. Thank you for this. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you or you want to have one, one final advice or statement about this? You know, let me make a challenge to everyone, Rolf, that I've been thinking about this recently. We, we were at the uh, United Nations General Assembly last week, uh, visited with Paul Boone there, for example, the president of the EAN uh, and a bunch of other wonderful people from around the world. The sustainable development goals of the United Nations are in the process of being rethought. So in, in the policy land, we're, we're talking about moving into the post-SDG era. So I think the challenge for all of us is what can we get brain health in the post-SDG agenda, our sustainable development goal? These are these, these goals that the United Nations sets out to try to deal with poverty and homelessness and um, you know child mortality and mental health and such. But I think mental health, uh, sorry, I think brain health needs to be there in the post-SDG agenda. That, that's a way that we can get from the highest global governance level our seat at the table because it's about how do we get neurology and brain health seats at the table so i encourage people to think about that how would we do it we obviously need a coalition of the willing to achieve that it's not easy to get into the united nations agenda but that's what i think we should aspire towards very good yeah thank you harris for this and uh, thank you all for listening and uh, yeah well please listen again to the next episode and goodbye This has been EANcast Weekly Neurology. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcatcher for weekly updates from the European Academy of Neurology. You can also listen to this and all of our previous episodes on the EAN campus to gain points and become an EAN expert in any of our 29 neurological specialties. Simply become an EAN individual member to gain access. For more information, visit ean.org membership. That's ean.org backslash membership. Thanks for listening. EANcast Weekly Neurology is your unbiased and independent source for educational and research-related neurological content. Although all content is provided by experts in their field, it should not be considered official medical advice.